I want to uh, uh, talk this morning uh, through Matthew 2. In Matthew 2, we, we hear about the visitation of the wise men uh, to the baby Jesus. Now, you haven't gone through a time warp. It's no reason to panic and think, I haven't done my Christmas shopping yet. It's not December, at least when it's been recorded, it's not December. But I just, there's something in Matthew 2 that I just wanted to bring out uh, regarding the wise men. We don't know much about these wise men. Uh, there's lots of uh, theories about them. There's loads of um, ideas of who they could be and what they were doing. But the reality is we don't know much. The Greek word for them in the New Testament is magi, the magi, which is basically means the magicians or the sorcerers. The uh, Passion Translation uh, translates them as spiritual leaders. These are guys who uh, are watching the stars and they are religious leaders, but they're not religious leaders from uh, Jerusalem or Israel. They are foreign to the land from the East, probably a completely different culture, uh, worship in a completely different way. And we don't even know if they know Jehovah, but they turn up at the, the door of Mary and Joseph. Joseph. I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Joseph on that day. On your door is, no, is knocking uh, these probably quite rich people. They might look odd to you. They might be wearing spiritual garb and have stuff which you're not used to. Spiritual leaders are of something different to what you're used to. And then they come to the house and on seeing the baby Jesus, they bow down and worship. What would that have been like? The question which comes to my mind is, what were they doing? They were from a different culture, a different religion. Were they, were they using bells? Were they using candles? Were they using incense? Were they even using things like prayer mats and doing chants? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because my Bible doesn't tell me. You see, the, the Matthew who wrote this part of the Bible didn't find it important enough to include how they worshipped because how they worshipped isn't important. What's important is who they worshipped. It's not about the how, it's about the who. These magicians, sorcerers, wise men, free kings, whatever we want to think about them, who there's no record of them ever having camels or ever being free of them. They did not even know how to find Jesus. We read in, the in verses previous at the start of Matthew 2 that they have to go to Jerusalem and they end up going to the Jewish priests, the Jewish high priests and, and the, uh, the, the, the people of the law going, where do we find the king of the Jews? Where do we find your Messiah? And the Jewish, Jewish priest replied, we know how. The Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And they let the, these wise men, these magi, go off to Bethlehem to find Jesus. A question comes to me in that point. How come the people who knew all about the Christ, who had studied their Bibles about, all the, about the Christ, I just see them staying back in Jerusalem discussing about what, what the Christ would be, all about how he would come, and yet they didn't go with the wise men, the people who didn't know how to actually meet Jesus in person. Now, these, these religious leaders, these Jewish high priests, the Pharisees, they were devout followers of the same God that we are followers of. They were devout followers of Yahweh. 
They devoted their lives to it. They probably prayed a lot more than you do. They, they definitely seem to pray a lot more than I do. They knew uh, whole chunks of their scriptures off by heart. They had devoted their lives to obeying the scriptures. They knew that they, they shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And they even knew how to not work on the Sabbath. They had written lines upon lines of instructions about how not to break the Sabbath law. They were even so devoted that they knew what it was to tithe, to give 10% to the temple, to the service of, of God. And they were so dedicated, they even knew how to do it with their herb gardens. I mean, how do you find out 10% of your growth on your herb gardens? I haven't got a clue, yet they knew how to. And yet when Jesus, the word of God, rocks up in the flesh, they do not recognise who he is. They reject him. And when this Jesus, the word of God, starts to interfere with the way to obey Sabbath, which starts to question about the tithing of, of their herb gardens and, and the motives behind it, rather than listening to Jesus, they plot to kill him. What's happening? To preserve how they worship, they put to death who they worship. I've grown up in churches, uh, you know, all my life I've been in and out of churches, different, different denominations, different people, different areas. And I've got to know a bit about what makes churches uh, tick. Um, now, for those who don't know, churches aren't always the blissful places of love and peace and joy. They can be absolute battlegrounds. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying what the reality of churches, church life can be like. And nothing gets the saints going on a holy war more than how do we worship? Are we using the right songs? Should we be using an organ? I remember when I was growing up, putting a drum kit in church was, was seen as devil worship. Uh, putting guitars in church. And then we have arguments around how many songs, which songs we use. Is the music too loud? Is it too quiet? Is the sermon going on too long? Is it too short? Are we meeting at the right time? We have arguments about how we do the children's work, about how we even paint the building. There are arguments I've witnessed uh, where, where Christians are going uh, really at it. I can't remember the thing. Really having a go at each other. And it's all about the colour of the back wall. Should it be black? Should it be pink? Should it be white? Should it be yellow? Oh, how we love to argue about how to worship God. But Jesus said this, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. And then quickly after he said this, uh, this is how all the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How often does our obsession over the how to worship, the way to worship, actually cause the one who we worship pain? There are, there are in our history, we have many great stories of outpourings. You can go to, to some of the churches or some of the places where in our rich history, God has poured out his spirit and they've seen amazing miracles and amazing transformations. Sometimes you can walk into the building, you can walk into the services and it's just like, wow, I, I know it's not quite what it was, but I can feel God, I can experience God. It's like his presence is still here. And I love going to those places. But then I've also been to other church communities and they had a move of God 
100 years ago, 80 years ago, 60 years ago, five years ago. And they have got to, they've got into a pattern. This is what we did when God moved. We sang this song. We stood in these particular parts. We this, this, did this type of service. And they continue to do the same things over and over again because they want to see God move again. And yet the power was never in the what, was never in the how. It was in God turning up. And to my pain, some of these places get smaller and smaller and smaller and disappear. Caught in some kind of time warp, worshipping a God of yesteryear rather than the God of today. But it's not just people who have outpourings. I, I bet you've been in a prayer meeting and we've read about Joshua and we go, I don't know, how are we going to overcome this, this, this thing in, in, our, in our city? I'll tell you what we need to do. Joshua walked around Jer the walls of Jericho seven times. Let's go and walk around the, the walls of Jericho seven times. And we walk around and it's good. And it's, you know, normally gives us some breakthrough, but it's not the breakthrough that Joshua saw. Or we read about Jehoshaphat's army and we go, oh, in the time of Jehoshaphat, he put the praise and worship team at the, at, at the start of the army. And during the praise and worship, worship, the enemy scattered. And we go, brilliant, that's great. We need to get worshipping. And then we get disappointed when we have a worship time and the, the problem that we were supposed to break is still there. We can learn many lessons from our scripture and there is great rich, there is great rich in learning about Jehoshaphat and understand the importance of praise and chains break when the saints praise. But can I tell you why the army disappeared when Jehoshaphat's army worshipped? It's because they did what God told them to do. He said, put your, arm, your, your worshippers in France and when you worship, the enemy will flee. Shall I tell you why the walls of Jericho fell down? It's because uh, Joshua went to God and God said, what you need to do is you need to walk around Jericho seven times. You see, it wasn't so much the action, although we can learn so much richness from the actions. Why did God break through? It's because the people heard the word of God and obeyed it. What's the, the problem with that? You need to know him. You need to be intimate with him. You need to hear what God is saying. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on what you understand, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. Or a more literal translation is this, In all of your ways know him. When does breakthrough come? When, when, when do we see, uh, how do we, do, do we produce breakthrough and, and move into the next stages in our lives? We can look at principles and scriptures and they're really good and it's really good to learn them. But what the really good thing to do, the real secret is this, is to be intimate and to know him and not trust on what we've learned, not trust on what's happened before, not trust on, on the ways that it happened in the past, but instead trust in the one who brings deliverance, trust in the one who brings the answer and go to him. It's just scary because it means you have to actually hear him. You have to be intimate with him. Now at this time, there has been a lot of change. Lots of things have changed. And a new term has come up in the media and it is this, the new normal. I keep hear, hearing people saying, I can't wait uh, for it to get back to how it was. Now with some things in life, 
a year from now, maybe two, three years, it will go back to how it was. But there are many things in this season that are changing. There are businesses who are looking at their workforces working from home and now they're looking at all their buildings and starting to think, we could sell that building, we could sell that building, we can change the way we work. I bet if you've gone to the GP uh, surgery, it's all changed. Many GP surgeries have changed and are not going back to, to previous methods. Education, the way education is delivered is being changed and not everything will go back. Some things that have been learned in this season will be the new normal going on. Right from the beginning of this year, there was prophetic word after prophetic word about this being a new decade, a decade of breakthrough, a decade where there'll be a new wine screen, a decade where the, the church would be look slightly different and that would, would uh, be more have powerful and breakthrough and, and bring revival and all these other things. I wonder this, when we go back to whatever normal is or the new normal, I think the, some of these wineskins will have changed. I think some of the ways that we've done church in the past will not be the way we do church in the future. But it's never been in the how of worship that is the gold dust. It's in the who. It's not how you worship, it's who you worship. And while I was preparing this talk, I just saw this, this is like the prophetic uh, picture I saw. I saw wooden houses, well, wooden frames of houses, as in like the structures of houses being made up. And they were all frames for a house, but the bricks weren't there, the tiles weren't there. It was just a wooden frame. And I looked at this and I, and I saw past revivals, past moves of God. And there's, there was people and churches and they're trying to build these pillars of what God did in the past. And yet God has moved on and they've got structures and God wasn't in the middle anymore because he'd already moved on for a new wineskin. And then I saw people who, who had devoted their lives to God who had built structures like these houses, these framed houses, built these structures to meet with God. It was going to church on a Sunday. It was going to the house group. It was, it was serving in a certain team. All these different structures they had built to house the presence of God. All these structures they had built to create life in them. And then in this season, those structures have been removed or they can no longer visit that house. But let me tell you this, to find life, it's not in the structures, it's in him, it's in God himself. Matthew 6 says this, let me read this to you, actually it's Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's not about if you went to church. It's not about if you served in a certain ministry. It's not about the way we do church. The question that you'll get at the pearly gates, the question that you'll get when you meet with Jesus, it's not what did you do for me, it's this, did you know me? Did you know me? It's not what, it's not how, it's who. Now most of us at this time and this church is carrying on, we're meeting in our own houses, we're meeting in our own rooms. 
You know what? Jesus gave us a little how, a little how to meet with who, a little how to meet with God. And he said this, he said in Matthew 6, go to your house, go to your a solitary room, close the door, pray with me there and I will meet you there and I'll reward you there. Jesus often went off to pray in solitary places. Have you realised, or have it's just clicking, when Jesus told you how to meet with your Creator, how to meet with Him, how to meet with your Father, it was always socially distant. It's like it's time to meet with Him. Now I know many of our structures have been taken away. Many of our support mechanisms have been taken away. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. The way we do things may change. You go to different churches, different cultures, different countries, different eras. The way church was done changed. The way we make God was different, but it's always been the same God. It is always Him and not the method. I'm reminded of the prophet Daniel. He is there in Babylon. He has been captured from the, well, I'm not quite sure when he gave it, but anyway, he was captured from Israel, captured from the promised land and taken to work in Babylon. The temple has been destroyed. The priests have been disbanded and they don't have access to the scriptures. Daniel is there in a foreign land. He no longer has the house. He no longer has the structures to worship God like he could. He can't go to the temple. He can't go to corporate worship. He can't offer sacrifices. He can't go to spiritual leaders and he can't open his Bible and read it. And yet God meets with Daniel when? When he goes into his room and pray three times a day. So much so that he has prophecies that are in the Bible and that he transforms a nation and he brings a pagan king into the presence of God. And yet all the hows that he knew had been removed. I want to encourage you this morning. Some of our house have been removed, but we can still worship God in a room. Daniel was under pain of being thrown in a lion's den and was for worshipping in a room. We can go in our room, worship. We can still shut the door like Jesus said. Do you know what? We don't need to have fights over what worship music. I can choose the best worship leaders, the best worship bands, and I can have them all queued up and still have a great worship time. And if I don't like it being pre-recorded, I can go to IHOP, I can go to the House of Prayer, and I can have live worship and prayer beamed into my very living room, beamed into my bedroom 24-7. And I know some of us don't even have social media and, and, and you wouldn't be able to access it, in which case you're not even watching this morning. But we also have phones. What stops us picking up a phone and just saying hello to someone? What pick, stops us picking up a phone and going, hey mate, this is what I'm going through, can I pray with this? Or hello, can I speak to you about this? Or just sharing what God's putting on your heart. You see, things may have changed. What we go to may change. We need to stop obsessing about how we do things and obsess over the one who is. We're going to go into a worship song in, in a few minutes. But before that, I, I want to pray for some people. I believe that there are people watching and you've gone through this lockdown and you're just waiting. There. I just need it to be how it was, how it was. I, I'm just waiting until it gets back to normal. Or there's some of you here and you've 
had the church's structures and the discipleship structures and the people's structures removed. And as they've been removed, you've suddenly become aghast to realise that the presence of God left a while ago. Or maybe you were doing fine and now you're struggling to connect with God. There may be some here and you've never connected with God at all, ever. And you want to know. Well, my message to you, my message to the church, whether it's your first time, whether you've never known God or whether you've known God all your life, is this. It's not what you know, it's who you know.